You're listening to the Flame of Throne Blogcast, coming on you with insights into what it's really like to be a do-it-yourself musician. Songwriting, recording, touring, marketing, music gear, good old-fashioned band banter. It's me, Snake. We're all snakes. Flame of Throne is a metal band from Perth, Australia. For more info, head to flameofthrone.com and subscribe to this show in your podcast app. He's like, oh, how you going, love? Uh, yeah, to the nerves. Ah, uh, yeah, look, uh, I've uh, had a bit of a head on, and uh, look, I've uh, cut the top of me, me head and me cheek a bit, and uh, yeah, look, I think I need to have it looked at, you know. Yeah, I'm in a bit of a bad way, and uh, I think I better better come up and get a few stitches, uh, if that's all right with you, love. <laughs> I could hear him in the background going, yeah, no, no, I'm fine, mate. Uh, yeah, I'm sweet. <laughs> oh, hello. Welcome to episode 68 of the Claim Throne Blodgecast. Where the new Agalock is making my day. <laughs> it's called Pelorian, and we're having a blast listening to it. Black okay. metal. Oh, we've started. Doom. This is this is the show. You are listening to the Claim and Throne Blodgecast. I am your oh. host, Cabba. <laughs> this is Ash, and uh, we can talk about how good it was. It sounds fucking mint. If any fans of Agalock out there, real black metal and doom mixed together, I was expecting it to be a lot less extreme for some reason. I don't know why, but. Yeah, it's, honestly, it could be an Agalock album. It's a lot less, um, way less folky and stuff, but, man, really cool. I can't wait for the album. Now. And my new um, most anticipated album for the year, for sure. And I know that I let myself slip with the last episode being um, my album of the week, Crazy Town. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, currently <laughs> enjoying the uh, the new stuff out this year. So that Pelorian, super pumped for, and... Um, the new Morse Principium Est was only out a few days ago, this week, I think, and um, that's been pretty cool. Oh, so you've listened to that? I have the whole album because I was going on about how I enjoyed bands releasing like a song or two in the meantime before the album comes out, and they were definitely the best songs on the album, which is a moderate letdown, I guess. Interesting. Does that? I remember back in the day when a new album would come out and there'd be one or two singles first, and I take a great example that's relevant to almost anyone internationally, and that's Grinspoon's Guide to Better Living. <laughs> I've got a signed tablature book. Oh, really? that album. So they had this um, this song called Just Ace, and you can watch the <laughs> film clip of it. I actually, do you want to know a real fact? That's the only reason I do this podcast, fill me in. Okay, so every morning when I'm going to work, I judge the amount of time I have to have a shower by the amount of times I can sing Just Ace in my head. <laughs> oh, get out of town. And so usually these days it's been two times in a row, but I've been using that method since year nine. Hit the road large. Do you always have a shower before <laughs> work in the morning? I do because I generally exercise in the morning. Did you shower before coming over to Bodge today? Well, I didn't come over here. I drove a car. Oh, yeah. But um, I did shower this morning, yeah, yeah same. for two Just Aces. I recently shaved all of my metal hair off and my shower times have cut down by like 10, 15 minutes. All because of shampooing, conditioning and brushing shitty fucking balding long hair, like clinging onto the scraps and now they're gone. I walk in the shower and I'm done and I'm awake and that's the only reason I shower, to be awake. Um, yeah, you dropped that in there pretty quick. It's it's new for me to see Cabba with a sh- completely shaved head mm. and... My question to you is, I didn't get to see you actually shave it, but while it was happening, was there just a fear, dread, anything going through you? Man, I've been hanging to do this for quite a while. I actually haven't told anyone yet apart from my um, my close mates who, who see me regularly. 
haven't put it on Facey or any of that shit. Um, but yeah, been hanging on for a while, ready to get rid of it. Um, just because I'm boarding pretty bad at the front and it's just, it's tough going to work every day and needing to be taken seriously with like the thinnest fringe on earth. So ready, ready for it to go. Not dreading it whatsoever, but, um, it was just like finding the right time to do it. And I was thinking about doing like a charity raising money for leukemia or whatever. Um, but people would think that you're the one with leukemia because the way your hair was. They would think I'm the leukemia kid and I ended up deciding to do it because of, of the timing at the moment we're recording some music videos for our new album due out in 2017, Bethlehem III. And, uh, <laughs> marketing, marketing, marketing. Yeah. And so we had, well, one of the videos is one guy, which happens to be me, uh, walking through a variety of areas such as deserts and oasis and getting the um, contrast of a variety of uh, environments. And we were trying to think of a... I think it's a good idea when you're doing a music video to have a reason for people to watch it, have some sort of story that makes people want to say, you should watch this video because da-da-da. So I was just thinking, you should watch this video because Cabbage shaves his head off, in the, <laughs> his hair off, in the, not my head, just my hair, in the middle of the video. And so that's what happened. And we were sitting out yeah. um, in a, a, not a national park, but a little cool little parky area. And I um, sat there and got it shaved off, uh, filmed it with a GoPro time lapse. So oh. we, can, we can watch that at some point. Yeah, because, I, and I wasn't there. We were just talking about it before. It was only Jesse and Cabba attended the shoot over the two days that it went on. I want to see it in the context of the video and as mm. the time lapse because I'm sure I think with how the video works is that, it, you know, you're in the desert, you don't have access to a buzz cutter and electricity. <laughs> so I'm sure it's well, not going to look like it that. It sort of makes no sense in the whole concept of the thing, but... <clears throat> the way the the way we were going with it was that I put my dunk my well, okay. So I'm totally dehydrated in the desert and um, seeing mirages and uh, basically totally dehydrated and ready to die. And I come across this disgusting, dirty ass swamp <laughs> that I put my head in in real life, unfortunately. <laughs> and as I dunk it in, I pull my head out, and all my hair is falling out. So that was the... Pretty similar to real life, really. The idea, pretty much similar to real life. Where it doesn't make sense is that my beard didn't fall. (laughs) (laughs) Don't put that out there. Ah, right, shit. Um, But anyway, yeah, music videos have been recorded and it was pretty good fun. Looking forward to getting them out there sometime in the next three or four years. So what's your favourite song off Siamese Dream? I was always more into Melancholy and Infinite Sadness. But if you had to pick off Siamese Dream... You're putting me on the spot there, man. The reason I ask is I'm looking at this Catamania and Claim the Throne tour poster from 2014. Mm-hmm. And on Sunday, the 5th of October, because I just read that backwards, we played in some place called Shin Saya Bashi Soma. And that's a song off Somebody's Dream. Soma, track really? seven. And oh, it's I called heard, Soma. Yeah. And I've heard at like, um, I think they use something ridiculous like, you know, 70, 80, 90, 100 fucking tracks of guitar back then on that. And I don't quite know how that works. I read that when I was a little kid, so it's probably completely wrong. But uh, the song Soma is pretty cool off yeah, that right. album. Would you say it's your favourite off the album? It's got to be one of them. And uh, the thing I read, 
God damn if I know where I read it because it was back, you know, before I even moved to Perth when I was still living in rural Australia. And it said something like, there's this many tracks of guitar. And it's very, it's swamped in guitar tracks. You can definitely hear it when you listen back. And then it goes, and at this point, we chucked in a piano. Not good? Piano. Oh, the beer is so warm. Oh, yes. okay. Can we keep the smash? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, it, go, it kicks in and there's a piano. So I listened back through um, and heard at that exact point, looking at the timer on my Philips CD player that I bought or that my mum bought for me when I was 13. And uh, yeah, sure enough, the piano kicked in and it was just funny to go, mm. I never noticed the piano dropped in at this point and this is one of my favourite albums. Yeah, right. And yeah, then it happened. So sidetrack, what's your favourite song off? Melancholy. Oh, I do love that it's a double, <coughs> double album. Does it need to be? Doesn't need to be. Probably. Well, I don't know. One of the few double albums that I'll accept. So, favorite song? Mm. I got a couple. It changes every. I only listen to it maybe once a year. Can I ask? I'll you go with tonight's night because I do enjoy that. I like yeah. nineteen seventy nine for the. Um, so you're into the singles. <laughs> wow. I knew you were going to say that. Uh, Bullet with Butterfly Wings and Zero, but everyone likes those two songs. Zero is a kick-ass song. Yeah. Um, I saw a PerthBands.com forum member the other day. Which one? Uh, Death Death on a Stick, D-E-T-H, Death on a Stick. Like Megadeth? Uh, Yep. And he had a similar look to you at the moment, shaved head, goatee. Oh, pedophile. Kind of, <laughs> kind of looking a little bit Des Fafara from Devil Driver. Yeah, right. Big truck. With a shaved head though? Or does Des have one? Anyway, who cares? Clock, tick, 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 tock. Wearing a Zero t-shirt. Right. Haven't seen one of them since the late They 90s. were a thing back then. Yeah, I'm surprised time. that they're not on sale at Target and Kmart. You know, you can get like the Probably. Nirvana shirts or yeah. the Led Zeppelin shirts and that. I'm sure no, they are, man. Don't know. Anyway, um, Melancholy, really cool album. I'm going to run through some tracks for you. Jelly yeah. Belly. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, Is that that song? I learned all those songs. So when I was a kid, I learned songs like Jelly Belly, Soma, I learned. What's a song? Oh, Hummer. Off Siamese Dream. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it's like very long and got weird parts and so stuff. So that's your favourite album of theirs probably? No, I, I probably, honestly, I'm really sorry to say this, but I, my favourite album of Smashing Pumpkins is Adore. Okay, cool. Disarm. Uh, that's off. Oh, that's your favourite song? No, that's I don't know. Off I just, that Dream. was the first one I thought of and it turns out it's older than I yeah, realised. yeah. But I, I was a massive Smashing Pumpkins fan. Because of the songwriting or because of the production or the performance or any particular things that jump out at you? Don't know. I could say a lot about Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, uh, Billy Corgan doesn't have a typically... Any hair. <laughs> no hair. That's what I'm going He for. doesn't have a typically nice sounding voice, if you know what I mean. Like Not mm. in the vein of like a traditional good singer. But, but it is unique and you know exactly who it is when you hear it. Yeah. And that's what makes a lot of those classic bands. And and what he's singing is pretty cool. He's got a good use of melody and um, and rhythm as well. I think rhythm is underrated. Mm, a I lot agree. of boring vocalists are boring, not because their voice sounds crap, just because their rhythms are a bit mm. generic. So anyway, he's he's cool like that. I love his guitar style and there's a video, 
oh, I don't know what year it is. Maybe it's Cherub Rock. Maybe it's a different song, but let's call it Cherub Rock on some like Johnny Carson or some one of those Yankee shows that I watched when I was a kid on VHS taped off TV. And yeah, he he's just ripping in it, wearing this, um, he still has kind of long hair at the time and he's wearing this floral purple shirt and just his style of guitar playing is, it's the reason I always gravitated towards strats as opposed to uh, Les Pauls or anything like mm. that. And, um, yeah, I learned heaps of my chops and my licks. And if you listen to any music I've ever written on guitar, you'll just hear Billy Corgan basically. Yeah, right. Does it, does it, can you tell that? Yeah. Well, only now that you say it, I can. And uh, if anyone out there wants to check, get on YouTube and search for Farthing Wheel. <laughs> you'll have a good night. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, <laughs> I follow Smashing Pumpkins on Twitter. And cool. I think Billy Corgan currently is going on some random trip of America, probably just a holiday or something, but heaps of people are getting photos with him. Really? So, yeah. Looks like I he's a I heard that they're getting the new, line, the new, the old lineup together, like reforming. I wouldn't know anything about their lineup. You know, your classic lineup um, of those two albums we talked about was um, Billy Corgan, James Eha, Darcy Retsky or whatever. And um, shit, Jimmy Chamberlain on drums. Mm. And that lineup was, I think, all the Pumpkins albums up to Melancholy. Yeah. And I think that original lineup is getting back together. So I heard, I don't know if it's true or not, mm. but they're at least talking about it, um, which is kind of interesting because after Adore, Adore had um, Melissa Oftemur on it and it didn't have, instead of Darcy and Jimmy Chamberlain, I think it was in jail. So. Or something, rehab or some shit. And they had different drummers, including, but not limited to, <laughs> Kenny Aronoff. Is it true that the album One Hot Minute was uh, considered like one of the failure albums of the Chili Peppers? I don't know. My Friends was pretty big, so was Aeroplane. <clears throat> mm. But have you listened to uh, Red Scar Tissue or listened to anything talked about that era by Flea and stuff? They're all off their dials. Yeah. And I've, I've read the, um, what's it called? Ketis. Yeah, Scar uh, Tissue. Scar Tissue, yeah. yeah. That was awesome. Yeah, pretty um, cool. Which is kind of cool reading from, I mean, I'm not a massive Chili Peppers fan or anything. I loved One Hot Minute the most, strangely enough. It's a cool album. It's a good balance between the um, the weird sort of hip-hoppy stuff that they did earlier and um, and the commercially stuff in their later years. Mm. But yeah. yeah um, the, the book was f- highly fascinating. Um, see, for me, John Frusciante, from, he was Chili Peppers from Mother's Milk and Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Oh, yeah. He is the other main guitarist that I was into as a child and he also played a Fender Strat. And, um, yeah, I I found it hard to go from uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic to One Hot Minute. I still enjoyed it and I bought it from Brashes in Perth. Oh. And um, for I think I got it for 20 bucks, so it probably shows you. I think I got a compilation from Brashes with the Chili Peppers and Bloodhound Gang. Really? That Well, yeah, that's that era. Aeroplane and um, Firewater Burn. But to this day, man, the those, um, I keep going to say one hot minute, but the, the drum and bass sound together, the rhythm section on um, Blood Sugar Sex Magic is like the best, like mm. a really dry, 
drum kit as a whole except for the snare that's like massively got a room mic that's like gated so every time he hits it it just triggers the room and it's just like Mm. it's real big but the rest of the kit sounds very dry and tight but really nice and the bass is so fat (laughs) I, i really reckon it's awesome and i think that i think that metal bands need to take a look in the mirror the corn album Take a look around, uh, and biscuit, and just have have a listen to some old albums, and maybe we our last episode was with Matt um, Boudreaux from the Working Class Audio podcast, and he was from a '90s band, and his the production on his album with Seven Day Diary was it was so quintessentially '90s in what I think about it. It's my favorite era where you can the drum kit sounds real as hell. It sounds like it was played real nice, thick kick drum huge bass coming in and the rhythm section just plays such an important role in the band so if you look back at the 90s and you look at a lot of bands whether it be Rage Against the Machine whether it be Tool whether it be um, The Pumpkins or whatever like Out There Brothers (laughs) heaps of it just has this real thick driving sound that I think is lacking in Mm. modern metal production where it's really heavily edited and the everything is sort of done after the fact where I think if people could just play the way that um, the music is on the record, if they played it live and whether they mic'd up an amp or had a DI, who cares? I don't know. I just think something's really missing and there's that real organic thing happened in the 90s. My favourite era of recording. Well, I was going to say, um, you are listening to the Claim Throne Heavy Metal podcast where we talk about the Smashing Pumpkins and Red Hot Chili Peppers and yeah. 90s alternative music. But do you think that it, uh, obviously from a um, production perspective, it's beneficial to appreciate a wide variety of music and metalheads generally do, which is what's so cool about metal, I think. Mm. Um, don't yeah. know where I'm going really, but... Um, the but it, yeah, it's tough when you get to, I don't know, a lot of the current metal bands do appear perhaps overproduced or there's a lot of cut and paste and a lot of editing and stuff, which we were talking about on, on the last episode but, as but well. But there's two sides of it. Yeah. There's the the production sounds overdone and polished and cut up and edited and quantized. That's one side of it. But the other side is that it's not just that the musicians need to get control of their shit and learn how to play better. It's more that the musicians need to get control of their tone. And from the get-go, like, I mean, I'm not a pro mixer or anything and some of the stuff, like, just listen to any Claim of Throne that I've been involved in and it's fucking pretty dismal. But (laughs) the the idea is that... The Sorry, idea mate. is that you come into the studio and you've got a sound that the engineer will listen to and go, cool, that's a really cool sound. It's exactly what it screams your band. Yeah. So let's record that. Let's capture that sound. But instead, it sort of seems these days, especially with metal bands, they come in with with an idea of what they want to sound like, but they haven't met you halfway mm. as to what they want to sound like. So, So it's not just a matter of finding a producer, paying them money and giving them a reference track and saying, this is what I want to sound like. What else do they need to do? Well, why do you want to sound like it? And I would take us as a great example of that when on Triumph and Beyond, when Al Smith from Bagurk Studios recorded us and he goes, can we have some reference tracks? So I send him, hey, listen to Lateralis, 
and listen to Winter Sun. Listen to Mustard on Blood Mountain. And Mustard on Blood Mountain. I forgot about that. Perfect, right? So you look at those three albums. They're all really different albums in terms of like the guitar tone, the drums sound different, but Mastodon and Lateralis sound like, in terms of drums, a drummer in a room, one slightly more, I don't want to say polished, but it sounds a little bit more hi-fi perhaps. Mastodon sounds a little bit more like you're in the room with the guy from Mastodon, Brand Dahlia or whatever. And then you listen to Winter Sun and you're like, the drums are barely there on the album. They're there, but they sound like, um, they sound the production wise, it sounds less well captured as the other two. But we were sending them to Al because we love the albums. Not, and we want to sound like them because we think that the songs are kick ass and we think that the style is kick ass. And we're like, we are trying to achieve that style. But I don't think the production necessarily reflects the style of the shit. So realistically, we're probably more on the right track with maybe, let's say, Macedon, Cut It In The Middle, where, um, yeah, nice and lively and natural sounding, but still everything is sounds pro. Yeah, And I think that's a big problem because I'll go into, let's say you own a studio. I will never own a studio. <laughs> I hope and, I do. And I go in and I say, hey, Cabba, I want to sound like Cannibal Corpse, but here's my amp, and it's it's a Vox AC30, and I use a DS1 distortion pedal. Mm. And you're like, so wait a minute, you gave me a reference of something with like ultra saturated, possibly Mesa Boogie or PV guitars, um, and you're giving me this thing that sounds like it's probably more suited to a Nirvana album distortion. And then I just expect that you're going to give me Cannibal Corpse tones. Well, I think bands need to, and a lot do, definitely, but bands need to take control, us included, of what their tone is. Like Everyone needs their identity in terms of tone. So then it makes it worthwhile for the engineer or the producer to cat, capture what you're giving them rather than having to then go and create. Like I've done stuff before for people. And you give it, they give you DI tracks, so just like clean guitar basically, and you give them back distortion and, hey, if it's Ash distortion, you know what it's going to be like. It's going to be like not super hyped bass or treble, but like real thick mid-range. And then they go, oh, we actually really want scooped mids. It just it makes it difficult and you always get there in the end, but it's kind of like I think bands have a big responsibility to take control for their own sound. Can you mic up like a 15-watt drive amp? 100%. Is the tone that you like coming out of the 15-watt drive amp? Hypothetically, yes. Totally. Yeah, because a, a lot of people, well, some people that I know, uh, you know, bedroom guitarists, and they meet a drummer and, you know, they'll, they'll jam and whatever, and they got these songs they want to record, but they're they're so used to and sold on the bedroom sounding guitar little crappy amp that they have that some of these small little tiny amps have such a beefy, awesome sound and they might go into the studio, these people, and then they end up with some processed computery shitty guitar tone. So is it possible to capture that bedroom sound? When there's going to be nothing wrong. If If you've got a sound in a room, right, and you like it and that's the sound you want on an album... In, in the same way that our voices sound the way they are coming out of the microphone speaking into a mic, 
I'd mic up a drive amp and try and get it to a point. I wouldn't mic it up for it to sound different to what it sounds like. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It's a it's a hard thing to describe. Yeah, no, but I don't know what you're saying. Yeah. The difference between a drive amp and let's say a cranked Marshall is kind of like what is the drive amp based on? Mm. If it's if you're going for a particular sound, if it's there but it's not quite there, it doesn't have any oomph behind it, but it is the sound, it's going to sound like that. But if it's got all the required elements, then if you mic it up in such a way to capture that as best you can, the sound of it in your practice room, no one's going to notice no. at all that that's what you used. Hmm. And most recently for me, um, I used a 7-watt orange <laughs> amp to get a pretty cool thrash tone. And when you don't tell people what you're using to get a particular tone, they don't question it. Mm-hmm. Is I think there's more of a stigma. But it, you can look at examples like um, the guitarist from R.E.M. For a, I don't know if he still does it, but for a while there live, he was using a 25-watt Fender practice amp as his main live sound, just mic'd up. And you look at guys like Queens of the Stone Age and they use little Ampeg, again, back in the day, they used small Ampeg combos just mic'd up on stage and they blasted out the PA and pff, the listeners doesn't give a shit. As long as the tone you want is achieved, then it doesn't really matter how you get it. You just don't, I think more what you're getting to is you don't necessarily need to crank up a 100-watt amp to get a big sound. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. Uh, the new Winter Sun album this time next week will be available for crowdfunding and not available on streaming services such as Spotify. Will you buy it? Pre-order or pledge? Oh. Mm. Hold on a minute. Yeah. So the album's ready to be released. Yeah, everyone's been waiting for time too. And it turns out they've got another album ready to release, which is now overtaking it. Forest Seasons or Sessions or something. Because when you told me about that, I thought you meant that it was ready to be released. Crowdfunding opens next week. I thought you meant like crowdfunding to fund the album so it can be finished it is finished and instead of releasing it on say a nuclear blast web store or whatever it will be released via winter sun crowdfunding campaign so can you get a like a Bandcamp digital copy of it don't know they haven't released the exact options yet but i assume you can get a a download version Mm. top highest quality of it Look, that's an interesting thing because, as you know, I've listened to a bunch of albums this year from completely unsigned bands who don't have deals, who don't have... Well, obviously, they don't know if they're unsigned, but just just any old band who decides to pay some distro service to chuck it on all digital streaming platforms. There's no reason if, if Winter Sun can release an album that... I, I'd love to talk to Yari, by the way. That would be... <laughs> We Maybe we'll hit him up. I'll hit tweet him, up. him in, in, yeah, in the next yeah. five minutes. And I hope none of the um, none of the things we've spoken about on this podcast turn him off. We're massive fans, and <laughs> I'm just really interested in him as a guy. So anyway, um, I would like to buy it, and it seems what he's done is you remember when Louis C.K. did a some comedy thing, and he was charging five bucks for it rather than going through like you know a Netflix or a HBO or a Comedy Central. Was he the one that was doing the, um, you could get the photos of him at the show and then get it from the website? Maybe him. I know a few people do that. Steve-O does that. Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um, 
But anyway, he he did a comedy special, put it up on his own website for five bucks and made a million dollars or something ridiculous like Mm -hmm. that. And it sort of set a precedent where, yeah, you could take control of your own product, um, which you've always been able to do. And there's always been bands through the years um, that have done those sort of indie, more indie things. But yeah, I mean, maybe it seems that that Winter Sun are doing that. So they're keeping the their product in their own hands and you can get it if you're a subscriber to their crowdfunding or as a purchase from their own website. Yeah. But, it, but it would be quite easy for Yari to sign up with CD Baby and then have that album distributed across your traditional Spotify, traditional, <laughs> your streaming networks like Spotify and Apple Music, etc. So what would the intention be? Because... If they're already on a major label releasing an album, surely the profit will not be entirely different or will it? Well, we're an independent band and if we make a T-shirt for $8 and sell it for 9 we make a dollar a T-shirt. Yeah. And maybe that's how it is with Yari. He's been making music for bloody since 2004 under the Winter Sun banner. And increasingly, he's been, from what I can gather, he's been moving into his own studio at home environment by the kind of things that he says online and everything. So, yeah, if, you know, it only costs us money to make an album if we have to outsource anything like the recording of drums to a studio or mastering of an album to Al Smith. Everything else in-house doesn't cost us money. It only costs us time. But he's still with the record label. Does that mean that they would also get a cut from the crowdfunding? Don't know. And I think, I don't know. And that's why I want to talk to him. What's interesting, I guess, is because you pledge for the album before it's released, that might give them an idea of how many copies to print, for example. Isn't that what a pre-order is? Exactly. So it's the same thing. So what would be the difference between pre-ordering on the Nuclear Blast website or pre-ordering on uh, the Winter Sun crowdfunding? Because there might be something going on like Winter Sun are contracted for three albums, their third album is time two, and this extra album isn't part of the contract, so they take mm. the profits as they yep. are minus the costs. Fascinating stuff. Yeah, for I'm tweet losers the fuck like out us. of him, eh? Can't yeah, wait. man, I would love to talk to Yari. <laughs> By the way, his his video of him showing the Evertune bridges and he's sitting on his bed in his jocks, shredding for <laughs> like 20 minutes or 10 minutes or something like that. And uh, yeah, it really, I think he's a really likable character. Cop and jocks or boxers? Nah, like briefs, boxer briefs, jocks briefs. I don't know how to say it. Hot as. Yeah. Um, he can play, man. I love that guy. <laughs> what I loved was that, um, well, I don't know if I loved it, but. What is something is that um, how they're applying for the second guitarist role in the band so that he can be just the lead vocalist, which seems absurd considering his guitar skills, but nonetheless, the amount of YouTube videos of people applying to join Winter Sun, man, there's some good guitarists out there on YouTube playing this stuff, but, you know, yeah, whether any of them are actually up for constant touring of the world and taking it to the next level. Um, let me ask you another question. What in the fuck is Feedburner and is it good? 
let me ask the audience a question. Is there anyone out there that can give us advice on what feed burner is? We've been using it since 2013. I still don't understand it. Yeah, like a podcasting sort of thing to give you a feed, to burn you a feed, so to speak. Is yeah. it essential? Like, do I don't think use... it is. Mm. We, we did it out of sort of rote, like Google searching, how do you put a podcast online? Back before podcasts were popular, there yeah. wasn't so many options. Do you know in March it'll be four years that we've been doing this and we've got barely any episodes. Is that the time that we start doing live podging slash lessons? Yeah, that was an idea that you brought up today. I think that's pretty interesting. Fourth birthday. Yeah, we could have some sort of live um, thing. Well, Maybe again, not a podge, maybe a video type thing where we teach very basic 101 stuff uh, like band management from me, like even how to use Excel, what is Microsoft Office, what is an internet, and then you can do very basic um, recording. What is a microphone? Yeah, I heard something the other day. I can't remember. It's probably on Working Class Audio or something, maybe maybe tape on podcast. I, I freaking can't remember what it was on. Either way, someone using Excel spreadsheets as like a track thing for pre-production like what tracks do you definitely know i think this is working class audio something that you you definitely know is going to go on that song and you lay it out we usually use a whiteboard and but on our whiteboard it's so basic it goes guitars vocals (laughs) drums that's it yeah whereas like we could use excel and actually because they're in cells we could treat them as bars or treat them as sections like a chorus or whatever write notes i'm currently doing a project management course and oh, yeah. yeah, through and at work privately at work, diploma of project management. Yeah, and um, learning how to use MS Project. Okay, use that much at I all. I haven't used that at all. That is like um, uh, so say you're recording an album. Your goal is to finish the album, but uh, from the lead up to that is all the milestones, and that might be each song or finish guitar or finish drums or whatever order. But you would have like um, your critical path of items that need to be completed in order for your project to be done. And one thing can't be started until the previous thing is finished. So you might say guitar is expected to take seven days and that will mean that the entire album will be finished in 30 days or whatever it might be. But as soon as the guitar takes a little bit longer, then everything else takes a little bit longer and you can just see it all on the computer, I guess, and you can move things around as things change uh, or what other items you can start before another item is finished, if you know what I mean. But anyway, sort of looks a bit like Excel, uh, but looks like something that could be pretty handy for musicians at times, perhaps. It sounds pretty cool. You, you are Sounds me, boring as fuck, really. Well, I don't know. Depends who you are. We know a lot of people in bands... And they all do things either the same, differently, or more extreme than us. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. I think for some people that's that's pretty important. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, we were saying even with um, Matt on the last episode, um, you know, treating your band as a business. But yeah, it could be good to just have that middle ground where... Um, you know, you have all with the goals that you want to achieve as a band, which might be, you know, touring Europe or releasing a certain amount of albums or whatever. And that is, you know, it's it's all for fun. You don't care about making money. You just want to have fun and you want to do all these things. 
but in order to do those, you do need to be able to treat your band as a business to an extent or, you know, actually look into doing all these boring, shitty tasks that lead up to the actual goal that you're working towards. So, you know, before you get to do that Europe tour or before you get to release that album, you do have to take some sort of thing seriously, I guess, in terms of saving money and budgeting and... Um, you know, planning ahead or booking studios in or, or, or all the things you need to do that, that might not be considered fun they are required. Look, people will write music and they say, oh, I want to go and have a gig, but I don't care about getting signed to a label or I don't want to make it my job. It's just my hobby or something, but I wouldn't mind playing a couple of shows in another state of your country, domestic touring or possibly an international show. And you're never going to do that. Like the whole idea of getting a label or something is for them to do that for you. If you're going to stay indie, then that means you're going to have to do some sort of a businessy or a, uh, you know, what, what am I looking for here? I don't know. Like, is, is it ever as simple as, you know, you record one wicked song or even an album, say, you're, you're really enjoying writing the music that you're writing. You happen to write 10 songs, so they all fucking rule. You're totally stoked with it. You record an album. Then what? Like, can you just send it all around the world and expect to get a couple of things? I think what I'm getting at is that indie artists say like, oh, we don't want anyone to tell us how to do our music. Okay, so that's cool. You've got control of your product. Right, and I hate calling it a product because that's like some capitalist thing. Of course, I hate yeah, calling it business and certain. But yeah, words, business but product is what it is. Whatever. It is what it is. Yeah, it's it's our art, right? You make this piece of art. If you don't want anyone to hear it, then just make it in your bedroom and that's it, and don't release it and don't do anything. But then it's only for you. So obviously, if which you is want, fine if that's what you want to do. That's cool, but I mean, if you want anyone to listen to it and appreciate it then you have to make this weird cross into something like marketing or something yeah. like business. You either need to learn how to use your sound clouds and your band camps and stuff like that or you need to make a decision to approach industry pros, I guess, who can do all that stuff for you and yeah. reach a, a wider market. So, And like we've always said, for. the more third parties that you enlist to do things for you, the less control you have. But if you want to maintain control, you have to become savvy in those areas. It's like a weird quack, catch twenty two. Ironic. I was going to say quack twenty two. Ducktales twenty two. Oh, I used to love Ducktales. My dad you told would. me I would wake him up at six a.m. and go, "Dad, Ducktales is on." Really? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like. <laughs> I do love animation. Anyway. Yeah. So more about animation. What is the best animation software to use? Uh, I disagree with the question. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> so I don't. I think I use Flash for me. And the reason I do is because it does the frame-by-frame frame thing, blah, blah, blah. I'm a fan of traditional animation and that's where each frame is drawn by hand or let's say it's stop-motion animation where it's it's frame-by-frame. Frame. You don't do any of the animating inside the program, but much like Pro Tools where you'll track to a computer instead of tracking to tape, you'll take a digital photo of, if we're talking stop-motion, of a glass at point A and then you move it half a millimetre, you take another photo, then you move it half a millimetre, take another photo, and then in the computer, you say, I want it to go at this rate, and you press 
the play button and it will show the glass moving across the table. So I like Flash mm. for that, but there are other cool things. Dragon Frame is one capturing software that I've never used, but it seems pretty cool where it will link up with your Nikon or Canon camera. will support it. It'll run it in a constant preview mode and then you can control the camera. It'll actually almost like screen capture it from your laptop, but using the camera as a conduit to get that photo. Sorry, Kava, you opened up a different can of worms here. If you want to yeah. watch some cool animation, I tell you, go and watch Looney Tunes, Merry Melodies, or Looney Tunes from... Bangers I'm and gonna Mash. I'm going to say... Yeah, Bangers and Mash. Funny. I'm going to say <laughs> from 1929 through to 1946. You'll get some classics there. Also, MGM at that time was pretty awesome too. Uh, a guy called Tex Avery. And... If you want to look at interesting things like uh, Steamboat Willie, you know, um, Mickey Mouse or It's Mickey. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you look at the guy who animated Mickey Mouse, he did a thing called Flip the Frog, which is one of my favorite animating things. And um, he may have... Yeah, anyway, whatever. Also Popeye, you know Popeye? Of course, the I am Popeye. Man. Yeah, so Popeye in the early days of Popeye, the first maybe 50, 100, maybe even 200 episodes of that because they're short, also did this thing where they blended claymation, stop motion, with traditional um, drawn animation and they fused it together. And there's a particular episode where Popeye meets, I think he meets Sinbad the Sailor or something like that, or maybe it's Alibaba, Popeye and Alibaba. <laughs> Check that out if you can find it on YouTube. Let me know how it goes for you. That's pretty cool. Anyway, sorry. Do you know much about the uh, the South Park uh, changing from the early days of season one to where we are now? Like, was that all uh, puppetry, or how do they make it look so much better after all these years? More money. More money. I think those guys started doing the first four episodes as purely stop motion they were using cutouts and stuff and they were doing the mouths and pasting them on and it was a very laborious old school process and then after they got picked up by comedy central i think they started doing kind of like what i'm talking about rather than doing it all analog let's call it maybe maybe doing part of it like that and then using the computer to be able to so they'd take the initial photo of the piece the cardboard cutout and then they'd manipulate it in the digital space to move around and stuff which look if you're going to be producing something every week you, you can't you physically don't have the time to do it in the analog domain maybe we can interview them and we'll ask them um <laughs> in terms of listening to metal what do you got for me? <laughs> uh album of the week yeah atheist piece yes of time. i mean oh cool yeah, I was telling Cabba yesterday about how I've been listening to it. And awesome album. What they've done is they've kind of mixed their love of fusion, jazz fusion that is, with sort of early early death metal. And it's co quite tech. And, and something I love about early, early death metal, like if you listen to old Cannibal Corpse, Deicide, um, Morbid Angel, Death, uh, all of those kind of bands, they... It's really tech. And so they might have what these days, as a drummer, I do a 4 4 beat with double kick, da 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 da, like that. But they do all these breakups where they do a snare fill in the middle, 
and then they do heaps of hi-hat little cool um, flourishes throughout a drum beat and it's just way more interesting and it's also cool to know that they recorded that to tape and there wouldn't have been a whole lot of editing available apart from punch-ins so it's really it's like good education to listen back to that stuff so when I listen to Atheist I hear it's almost like when Nile do the Egyptian stuff so the intro is Egyptian and then the whole um, song is brutal death metal and then Egyptian outro or just the middle of the song has a little bit somehow Claim of Throne do that a little bit with folk like folk a little bit melodic death folk little bit melodic death atheists are a bit more like that it's not like cynic where they'll do a break and they'll have uh, like a jazz fusion section or they'll do like a, a lead section and they'll have like a fusion style um lead break in there anyway. did you ever listen to cephalic carnage back in the day no nah, I, I did but i never got into it mm. do you think that kids should listen to atheist at school I went to a Catholic school. Oh, shit. I used to get in trouble for Me all too. sorts of things. Yeah, Marta Day. Yeah. Um, That's where I found out about cephalic carnage. Did you? At Marta Day? Well, not from school lessons, but from my friends oh. I kept company with in my lunch breaks. Yeah, atheists wouldn't have gone down too well. Mm. Guys with Marilyn Manson shirts used to have to take them off at our school. Really? Yeah, and that doesn't even say the word atheist on yeah. it. Well, I guess it said Antichrist superstar, so that, <laughs> that'll do it. <laughs> But yeah, I think it's definitely good to listen to. The other thing I like about listening to Atheist is that their tone doesn't sound as like thick and amazing as modern metal tone, but it also mm. doesn't sound like um, ACDC or Sabbath or any of these real cool iconic guitar tones. It's like this weird mid-ground. But uh, yeah, it just goes to show you, you don't need the most coolest, modernest thing ever to sound like a heavy album. Anyway, it's sort of like death, but a bit more weirder. I'm going to do some research back into that stuff. Check it out, man. It's on my to-do list. Piece of time. What about you? What have you been listening to? Um, I'll go with uh, the Haunted Self-Titled album this week. I'm always a uh, Haunted Made Me Do It sort of guy, but uh, never really spent a lot of time on the self-titled thing because they've had the, the different vocalists over the years. And... Um, I think made me do it and one kill wonder had the what's his name marco arrow who was a bit more metal sounding had a bit more of a deathy sort of voice um whereas they had uh whatever his name is peter someone who did um the first album and then came back after um after a couple of albums as well mm. and it was a little bit more hardcore sort of in a sense i guess sounding and i was never so much into that but now i'm just i don't know as usual just the riffs to the haunted man. a lot the riffs are so oh, good. So much riffage, so fast and um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's can be quite basic in terms of songwriting and, and delivery and everything, but um, I don't know, just, yeah, mad riffs. I don't know, it's all you w really want from, if you just want some seriously fast metal upbeat to get you in a good mood and oozing with energy for the rest of the day, it's a good thing to listen to. It's the only haunted album I like. Self-titled? Yeah. You're kidding. Seriously. What's that about? Don't know. Really? Good riffage or the vocal or what? All of the above. I, I was the but same. But you don't like Made Me Do It? No. You're fucked. I used to wear a Made Me Do It shirt for years because I couldn't really? get an original shirt. Yeah. Where'd you get that from? Uh, one. I want one. merch store or something Do you still like have it? Nah. I grew out of it. Muscles popped through it too much. Probably fit me. Yeah. Nah, it's dead. I probably killed it. <laughs> Ash made me do it. 
Yeah. No, Haunted are cool. And then coming off At the Gates, Slaughter of the Soul, and then what, a year or two later was made me do it? I think so, yeah. Similar lineup to At the Gates, I think maybe different. It was Adrian Ellenson on drums still. Mm. I think so. Maybe it was the whole lineup bar Thomas Lindbergh, right? Is that pretty close? Maybe Actually, I'm not too sure. It's a different second guitarist, right? It's the Biola Brothers. It would be, yeah. And that other guitarist. Anyway, for me, I was expecting At The Gates Part 2. Mm. Got something completely different. At first, was a little bit like, Wah. and then, yeah, I just sort of grew to like it, but never followed The Haunted after that. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Riff City and just um, just upbeat and enjoyable. Yeah. Um, I don't know, same reason I listen to a lot of punk, just to get me a bit fired up for the day. You ever heard Terrorizer before? Uh, no. I find it interesting. I won't say I'm a fan, but interesting. In what way? Just fast? It sounds more like hardcore than metal, but it shows you the that hardcore and metal are linked. Yeah. I don't know. There was a lot of those sort of Swedish bands um, <clears throat> back in, well... I don't know, between maybe mid-90s to mid-2000s, which would incorporate that, like, yeah, Scandinavian melodic death thing with thrashy, hardcore sort of stuff. I guess there was a lot of those bands out there, which I live and breathe, mm. basically. Okay. I don't know. Like, you can go through your phases of, I don't know, listening to the new Agalox slash Pelorian or whatever, but... I don't know. So for a few weeks, I might be just enjoying really slow, weird sort of music. But I always end up finding myself going back to, to fast, upbeat, energetic stuff. When you when you write, you do. Is that what you mean? Uh, also, when I write, um, which I think is what I was saying to you before, like, I don't know. Sometimes, I don't know, if you're having... Um, Sex. Cre- <laughs> creative droughts, for example, if you, you know, you do... You're due to write a new album for your band and you wanted to get it done. You're all excited to do it, but you're just in a bit of a blank and you can't get it happening. And you procrastinate by maybe, I don't know, having to clean the house or doing the gardening or anything you can possibly find in your life that you can do instead of making the songs. Sometimes if you just people play guitar or whatever you do and don't really think about it, that could be your procrastinating from what you're actually trying to do in music. So you might end up having a second album of completely different style music just because you're procrastinating from writing the other thing, I guess. I don't know. Or if you, you know, I don't know. When you try to make a certain type of music, you it's always more interesting end to up do doing else. just what you, you naturally do, I guess. I don't know. It's so funny the difference between what you naturally <laughs> do and what I naturally do is. Perhaps. Even though we're in the same band. I don't know, often I'll, I'll try and do a certain thing for Claim the Throne, maybe the next album I want to write, just only a few really long-ass songs, really epic and slow and whatever, and before I know it, I'm playing at a billion uh, clips per minute, writing thrash that the songs go for one minute, and then I go, shit, that's not what I'm meant to be doing here, but here is a song anyway. My default is Farthing Wheel. Yeah. Which is basically anything I've been listening to for the last week put put through the... <laughs> rose-coloured glasses and then put into a song completely inappropriate for Claim of Throne, completely inappropriate for anyone's listening but my own. <laughs> so, yeah, the question is, should you keep doing it anyway and just have think, those there? And, yeah. I think I'm going to. 
the the problem with Farthing Wheel and the songs that are good, we're not talking about Vestidi's Fork here or um, My Chicken is Running Away From Me, but some of the um, some of the other songs that I've really quite liked and we've just turned into something silly, if I could just learn, and this is my big thing, is learn to flesh them out and not just have a part go for four bars and then it changes. I was always just too hurried to change. And um, if I could figure out how to do that and get the right vocalist and small and from Capel, then I think I could be onto something. But I reckon, man, seriously, the shit that you're showing me that's procrastinating that ends up sounding like really fast sort of mid-90s melodic death, thrashy melodic death, like I reckon you should just do, I know you say you hate EPs, but do an EP or do an album. If you've got eight songs, I'd just love to record it just because you're my mate and it would be cool to see you do something. Just for once. Put it out there. <laughs> for once, yeah. <laughs> if you would finally do something, mate. Yeah, who knows? Whatever. Music is a funny thing. Um, Should we, any cooking tips this week? I think a few episodes ago we gave out a, the secret um, Capriotti pizza recipe, which is essentially step one, no road too rough. Step two, no muff too tough. <laughs> step three, make a pizza base. <laughs> but if you have a good pizza base and uh, just put your toppings on half the side, flip the fucking cunt over and flip fold the frog. it up, flip the frog and chuck it in the oven, you're good to go. Recipe of the week. I can't believe we talked about calzone and flip the frog on the same episode. <laughs> in the same sentence. <laughs> what have you been making? Uh, man, seriously, I haven't been making my own dinner. New house, the kitchen okay? Kitchen. Kitchen's real good, man. Spacey, huh? It's very Kevin. And I think that... And you can see out to the lounge, which I like, from the kitchen. Like an open plan area. But you'd call that the lounge. It's not really. It's it's the sitting area. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, the new house is really cool, man. Actually, that's something that I'll bring up on the next podcast. But decking out my house in a new space, it's been very interesting. And it's been already more conducive to creativity and things like that. I've actually been more accomplished in the new house than I was in the old one just mm -hmm. in the first week and a half. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very cool. Fucking awesome. Should right. we go out with the song? Let's fuck off. Uh, do you have a, a request? Now, yeah, and listening back to a few of our more recent episodes, I've noticed that I've been the one picking the song, so I'd like you to do it. Well, I'll go with um, the thrash version of Offspring's Nitro and Friends Will Rom's Mum Changed the Locks, and I'll go with uh, the Haunted Hate Song.